HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and I am back live. I know there were a few weeks there with no live show this summer, but um, that time has come to an end, and I'm back in for an all-new season of all-new, all-live Let's Get Real, starting with tonight. And of course, next week, don't forget to tune in to my anniversary show, my one-year anniversary show, which will be very exciting. But tonight, I'm actually doing things a little bit differently tonight i actually have a guest in the studio and you know i don't usually have the guests on the show i like to kind of be alone in here in my own little kind of crazy private domain spinning out all my theories and conspiracies about foodiness but i decided tonight to start the new season off with a guest and um my guest is my co-worker and friend chad pagano chef chad pagano so welcome to the show chad Thank you. Hello. Hello. And um, if you listen to my previous show, which was called Why We Cook, uh, Chad has been on that show. He had been on the show once before we did a show about eggs. Um, but that was then, and this is now, and this is Let's Get Real. And so, as we all know, Let's Get Real is about foodiness, and we've talked a lot about what foodiness is, and that's what I've been talking about in the last year, foodiness being the rise of all the fake food products that are masquerading as real food like soy crisps and veggie puffs and vitamin water and protein bars and peanut butter with added omega-3 and all of that and how that's all replaced real food in our lives and how it's I think also caused all sorts of correlated problems with replacement of the fake with the real in our lives leading us to people over consuming all that is fake in our lives 
and leading us to become a nation of obese people riding motorized scooters and only having Facebook friends and not real friends and um, enjoying people like the Kardashians. That's basically what I've been talking about on the show for years. Um, But what I started thinking about when I was talking to Chad about coming on the show is that foodiness itself, which is all this manufactured food doppelganger stuff, foodiness itself is actually a byproduct or a sort of result of war itself. And now the idea of having you on the show was came out of when we were talking about MREs, right? You remember? Right. right. I do remember. A student, we had a student who was a vet and he brought in an MRE, which is a, what is it? It stands for meals ready to eat. Meal ready to eat. Ready to eat. We all had a great laugh. We had a great laugh. <laughs> disgusting. We looked at the ingredients on the package and realized how utterly disgusting and horrible and full of chemicals this stuff was that we were feeding to our soldiers. Right. Well, that opened up the door for the research into the space program and we knew oh. where that ended. <laughs> right. We started talking about the space program. And then, of course, conversations about life in space ultimately lead to, well, where do you go to the bathroom? And then, of course, we had to go on to Google and look up all these pictures. But anyway, but I really started to think because then I decided that you should come on the show and we should talk about MREs. But then I really started thinking about war and warfare and soldiers and that foodiness is actually this byproduct of war. And really, it came out of World War II. After World War II, we had developed all this chemical weapons technology and after the war, there was this massive surplus of chemical weaponry, but also there was all this technology that had come out of the war, and the government needed a use for all of this stuff, and so they actually started using it for agriculture and turned it into pesticides and, that, and fertilizer, and that's where all this chemical fertilizer came from. It was bomb-making stuff left over from the war. And because of that, farmers were then able to produce these massive commodity food crops, things like corn and soybeans, and which ultimately led us to corn syrup and all of the sugar and all the processed food, which turned into foodiness. So you could say that foodiness is completely a direct effect of war. Today's program has been brought to you by Fairway Market, like no other market, a New York City institution that sells the best local, national, and international artisan foods for prices that can't be beat. For more information, visit fairwaymarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host, and I am back live. I know there were a few weeks there with no live show this summer, but um, that time has come to an end, and I'm back in for an all-new season of all-new, all-live Let's Get Real, starting with tonight. And of course, next week, don't forget to tune in to my anniversary show, my one-year anniversary show, which will be very exciting. But tonight, I'm actually doing things a little bit differently tonight i actually have a guest in the studio and you know i don't usually have the guests on the show i like to kind of be alone in here in my own little kind of crazy private domain spinning out all my theories and conspiracies about foodiness but 
I t- decided tonight to start the new season off with a guest, and um, my guest is my co-worker and friend, Chad Pagano, Chef Chad Pagano, so welcome to the show, Chad. Thank you. Hello. Hello. And um, <laughs> if you listen to my previous show, which was called Why We Cook, uh, Chad has been on that show. He had been on the show once before we did a show about eggs. Um, but that was then, and this is now, and this is Let's Get Real. And so, as we all know, Let's Get Real is about foodiness, and we've talked a lot about what foodiness is, and that's what I've been talking about in the last year, foodiness being the rise of all the fake food products that are masquerading as real food, like soy crisps and veggie puffs and vitamin water and protein bars and peanut butter with added omega-3 and all of that, and how that's all replaced real food in our lives. And how it's, I think, also caused all sorts of correlated problems with replacement of the fake with the real in our lives, leading us to people over-consuming all that is fake in our lives and leading us to become a nation of obese people riding motorized scooters and only having Facebook friends and not real friends and um, enjoying people like the Kardashians. That's basically what I've been talking about on the show for years. Um, But what I started thinking about when... I was talking to Chad about coming on the show, is that foodiness itself, which is all this manufactured food doppelganger stuff, foodiness itself is actually a byproduct or a sort of result of war itself. And now, the idea of having you on the show was came out of when we were talking about MREs, right? You remember? Right. right. I do remember. A student, we had a student who was a vet, and he brought in an MRE, which is a... What is it? it stands for meals ready to eat. Meal ready to eat. Ready to eat. We all had a great laugh. We had a great laugh. <laughs> disgusting. We looked at the ingredients on the package and realized how utterly disgusting and horrible and full of chemicals this stuff was that we were feeding to our soldiers. Right. Well, that opened up the door for the research into the space program, and we know oh. where that ended. <laughs> right. We started talking about the space program, and then, of course, conversations about life in space ultimately lead to, well, where do you go to the bathroom? And then, of course, we had to go onto Google and look up all these pictures. But anyway... But I really started thinking, because then I decided that you should come on the show and we should talk about MREs, but then I really started thinking about war and warfare and soldiers and that foodiness is actually this byproduct of war. And really, it came out of World War II. After World War II, we had developed all this chemical weapons technology. And after the war, there was this massive surplus of chemical weaponry, but also there was all this technology that had come out of the war, and the government needed a use for all of this stuff, and so they actually started using it for agriculture and turned it into pesticides and and fertilizer, and that's where all this chemical fertilizer came from. It was bomb-making stuff left over from the war. And because of that, farmers were then able to produce these massive commodity food crops, things like corn and soybeans, and which ultimately led us to corn syrup and all of the sugar and all the processed food, which turned into foodiness. So you could say that foodiness is completely a direct effect of war. Hmm. And we are the casualties, basically, (laughs) of that war. And then I started thinking about how now we kind of turned it around and we ship the foodiness back to the soldiers who are out in the field. Because when you and I were looking at the ingredients in that MRE, we realized that that's what it was. Right. It was all chemicals. So foodiness is a byproduct of war. And then we take all of this stuff that is manufactured and we ship it back over and we feed it to our GIs. So that's creating a problem, I think, because I don't think we're necessarily feeding our soldiers very well. But because I don't have firsthand, my experience of what soldiers eat comes from watching MASH. <laughs> well, I don't know where, the, where to go with that. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's not far off in certain settings, but the military's so varied these days. You know? Right, and so. that's what I was thinking is that, you know, there's sort of the bases, the big bases with the big kitchens, and it's all organized, and they're cooking and feeding people, right. and then there are people out in the field. I was stationed at West Point, and I had some of the best meals of my life. There, right. You but, know, because they have a real chef on Right, staff, and it's real food. It's, it's real different. Food. Right, so I think it's so complicated and complex and diverse. But um, then I was thinking about, you know, we've talked about this before, that, you know, because of foodiness now we have this utterly obese population we were you and i were discussing this when we were driving out here today we were only driving because of complications normally we would take the subway like you know good citizens just get that out there but um you know we have this massively obese population which is something i'm going to talk about a lot next week by the way on the anniversary show um but that's actually making it hard for the military to get recruits Right, because these guys are so big and heavy and so out of shape that they can't pass the physical fitness test. So it was sort of interesting how you know World War II gave us the freedom to produce these massive quantities of food, which ultimately led us to producing too many freedom fries, really, which has now made us all too fat to fight. And what I talk about on the show a lot is what I call the foodiness rabbit hole, where you go so far deep down into the land of the fake that you can't see your way back out to the land of the real. And I think this is really a foodiness rabbit hole, what I'm calling a foodiness foxhole. During World War II, when they were recruiting guys and guys were being drafted, they actually found that they were all underweight. They were having trouble finding guys who weren't underweight because we were coming off of the Depression. And people would join the Army as a way to guarantee that they'd be fed Three times a day, and now you well, know it costs more to feed your family back then, right? Than it does today. I guess so. Well, because of right, the commodity we're agriculture. Not eating real food now, right? We're not eating real food, and, and it's people cheap. respected the food. Right, and people, you know, portioned it properly, and it's they ate the right amount. <laughs> right, you know, now we could buy chicken for pennies. Yeah, and if we don't eat it, who cares? Throw it who in cares? the garbage. Right, and that was coming off the depression where food was so scarce and it was so precious, and you didn't waste anything and you didn't throw anything out. So I feel like there's a war going on between food and foodiness, and foodiness is totally winning. Foodiness is beating the crap out of food, and it's going into food and replacing it with a doppelganger, like in The Matrix, which I love to talk about. But on the other hand, I think that going to war also has had some collateral benefits for the U.S., which is that like now we have great Vietnamese food here. Because we went to Vietnam and we, you know, bombed the shit out of them. And then we allowed all these Vietnamese refugees to come into the U.S. And now, see, they're having the last laugh because now they're all getting rich selling us pho. There you go. So, there you go. Anyway, that's just my little... And I thought we lost that war. So. Well, it was never really a war to begin with, right? Right, a police action. It was a police action. Correct. And then Korea was a conflict, right? And before World War II, American food was really bland and homogeneous and boring. And then all the GIs came back from World War II, from Europe and from Asia, and they brought back all these tastes for really interesting food. So war does serve some purpose when it comes to food. (laughs) But anyway, we're not really here to talk about all of that tonight. That's just my introduction. What we do want to talk about is um, your experience with food in the military and what that was like for you and what you wound up eating. And, you know, I have all these questions for you. So first of all, why don't you give us a little background on how you wound up in the military and what your experience was, how long you were there, all that. Um, Well, I was failing out of college. I was um, (laughs) disillusioned. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. So instead of going home and confronting my mother, I ran off and joined the infantry (laughs) and called her from basic training. And she, um, I remember her quote was, uh, you're going to die in a war, dumbass. 
Nice. Yeah, it was You're supportive. I, I told her to get out of Vietnam. There's no wars. Everything's fine. And the right. first, my first leave got recalled, and we invaded Panama to get rid of uh, Noriega, Noriega, 1989. Right. Well, do you remember growing up, people said to us that we would be the first generation to right. have no war in our lives? That's why I joined, truthfully. Yeah, I could sit here of, and act like... Um, right. I don't know if you told me I was going to war if I would have done it, truthfully. Yeah, I remember them saying, you will be the first generation to know no war. Right. And the ROTC guys would come to school. And, and I did four yeah. years and fought in two of them. So. Yeah, so there you go. Okay, so you ran off. So I ran off, joined the military, and um, that was it. Ended up in infantry training, and uh, you know I was looking for an adventure. I didn't want to you know, be trained in any mm-hmm. careers or, um, I wanted to, I, I grew up around rifles and hunting and being in the woods. So the infantry seemed natural from there. I ended up, you know, in uh, a scout platoon as a sniper and the rest is history. And you went to Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia. Right. And how long were you there? Uh, eight months in combat. Um, like. no, the combat wasn't that long. We basically sat around, uh, combat was, <laughs> 20 days. I'm glad to know my tax dollars went to you sitting around. Yeah, eating. Eating. Right. Yeah. And drinking. Nice. Right. You were allowed to drink even though you were in a country that they Uh, had alcohol for you guys. They, we, we got our hands on it. We got our hands on it. We weren't supposed to, but it's always there. Not a lot, but. It's there if you want it. It's there. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, so I remember you telling me a story about when you were in Panama. Right. Okay, so can you kind of start from the beginning? Like, okay. so you run away, you join the army. Join the army. Where did they send you? So, you know, um, I was in the 10th Mountain Division. We were one of the most highly deployed units in the world. Um, we we went everywhere. Um, Panama, our realm of responsibility was really Central America. So we were trained to fight in the jungles and, you know, uh, aid the Contras and nice. all that stuff. Yeah. Oh, the Reagan Right, Legacy. we were in Honduras, and I, you know, I spent a year in Honduras, um, Panama. We we did a lot of training, uh, even before the invasion. We were there. The uh, jungle operation, our jungle operation training center, is in Panama, Fort Sherman, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you did that thing with and the that's chicken. Where, yeah, it was a jungle, basically a survival course. I guess you know we were trained in some survival techniques, and they starved us for. You know, the way I remember it, it was a week, but it was probably a day or something. They you didn't told me three eat. days they didn't Yeah, maybe it was eat. something like that. Yeah. It was somewhere between a week and a day. Uh-huh. I was hungry, <laughs> <laughs> put it that way. I get hungry after three hours. And uh, they had a specialized instructor who, who taught us how to harvest roots and what was edible, what wasn't. Um, but they, they had brought in chickens, and they freed the chickens. Live chickens. Live chickens, and they were running around, and we had to capture a chicken, kill it, and then eat it. So I um, I finally got one. I grabbed it, and they had trained us instead of cutting its head off, where you sever the nerves apparently, and the chicken continues to run around. Right. The better way to do it is to just rip the head off the chicken. So my buddy was standing next to me, and I just assumed it would take a lot of force to pull <laughs> a creature's head off. And um, I put all my muscle into it, and I ended up stabbing my partner in the face <laughs> with the beak of the chicken, which apparently is a big deal with the infections and bacteria. Um, and then we, we learned how to blow into the carcass of the chicken. Um, that separated the skin, the skin. from the body, uh-huh. from the meat. That's like how you make Peking duck. Right, and nothing goes to waste. So you know, then we could start cooking the main chicken body, but we would sit there and pluck off the feathers and then eventually get the skin into this you know, chicken stew, quote unquote. Wow. And it was the most delicious chicken I ever had. Of course, because you were I so still, hungry. My mouth's watering as I talk about well, it. Well, right, because I was, was starving. 
And it was probably a, you know, free range. I'm sure it was. It wasn't like shipped in from Purdue, right? right? Or some sure like local Honduran American farmers. American government overpaid, you know, some Right. It was like the gold toilet seat right. of chickens. Right. Right. Somebody got. But it was delicious. Um, so, but what did they feed you outside, like when they actually gave you food and didn't make you yeah, so that's a, you know, that's a huge question. So it would depend on where we were. Most of the time we were deployed overseas. Um, so we could be in a, in a effectively be our, you know, our base, our combat base. Not necessarily in combat. Maybe we were doing training. Uh, but we'd have barracks. We called them hooches, you know, crude wood structures. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that case, there would be a mess hall. And um, truthfully, it really varied from, from location to location, the more remote location, you knew you were going to eat MREs. Yeah. Worst case scenario, or you know, prepackaged food that came in was boiled and then served to us. Right. But in the bigger bases, I mean, the food, truthfully, was excellent. Yeah. A lot of the places. Yeah, I've read articles about feeding the military, like on the scale of you know, like an aircraft carrier or something, or on what they do and what they bring in. I mean, it sounds like things are really high quality, and I guess it really all depends on your location. Right. I mean, our main base, Fort Drum, New York, uh, they had a state-of-the-art facility. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we had everything from short-order hamburgers to, you know, pizza and and then, you know, entrees, dishes, um, you know, to include lobster and steak. Really? Grilled. So more of my tax dollars. Yeah. Yeah. They fed us really well for, you know, I mean, I I was unmarried. I was not married, so, you know, the government paid, didn't they just paid for my food. Some of the married guys I knew in the military got an allowance, but to eat at the chow hall, even for them, was like a dollar twenty nine. Mm. You get a you know steak dinner. I mean a ribeye. Nice. What do you ribeye. mean they paid an allowance like for their spouse or? Yeah, I guess it was a family uh, allowance family for food because a lot of them lived off base. Oh, okay. But if if we were on base during the day, they would go to the chow hall and pay a dollar dollar mm-hmm. thirty to eat a wow. you know a lunch. Well, you know, you know that famous Napoleon quote, right, about armies that an army travels on its stomach, right. right? So you have to feed your guys well. But if you're just sitting around for months and months on some base, right? I mean, I don't want to criticize here. No, we never know, did. And well, even along with that too, I don't think you know the whole thing. Um, you know, we worked hard even on the base. I mean, you were up early. You were training. You, you were training. You were physical training. Um, you know, at the range. I mean, even a. So a you weren't just sitting around getting fat. No, a down day as an infantryman, mm-hmm. you're you're burning thousands of calories mm-hmm. so they fed us so they pretty keep well. You really well fed yeah they were they were concerned and then once you were deployed and when you were overseas how did that work like when you were in saudi arabia did they feed i mean is the the food's it, not sourced there it's all brought right. in right no it's all shipped because you wanted pallets yeah. yeah they um you know they have portable field kitchens basically mm-hmm. they would set up behind the lines mm-hmm. And they would um, generally, depending on the tactical situation, you know, you would you could end up going there three times a day. As an infantryman, you were lucky if you got in there once a day. Um, and lucky, I don't know if it's the right word. The, the food was pretty bad yeah. most of the time. Yeah. I mean, bulk stews. That was like pre-made and they would yeah, just pre-made, heat it Yeah, pre-made. They would heat it over and steam baths and, and serve uh-huh. it out. And so when you – so you were – in Honduras, Panama, and Saudi Arabia, right? Right, Germany. And Germany. So when you had time off, did you go out into the life of those countries and eat? I mean, did yeah. people mostly... that? Because I know that... Saudi like, Arabia, on, no, we weren't allowed to You weren't move. allowed. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, Honduras, Panama, yes. Germany, yes. Yeah, well, sure, in Germany. And it was, it was amazing. You know, uh, we were eating garbage in Honduras, you know, at our base, which was pretty remote. We had, we had three or four, uh, what they called... Um, 
remote outposts that we had various missions at and um the food was terrible but every once in a while when we go out on patrols we'd end up in the the villages and Mm -hmm. stuff and you'd you'd be in someone's house Mm -hmm. or you know you you know at a small cafe in honduras and the food was incredible Mm -hmm. grilled chickens sauces i mean i I love the honduran food a lot of uh you know a lot of fresh uh fresh proteins you know from yeah. you see them running sure. around in the freshly street killed yeah freshly killed it was great yeah um panama you know when we were there in training we were we were on the base so again it was you know depending um you know good to mediocre but um the the funny thing i remember about the invasion of panama was being in panama city proper and um actually um securing a street that had a mcdonald's on it <laughs> and i remember the guy one of the i forget his name now one of one of the guys in my squad said we should go in that mcdonald's and get food and um he did he jumped up ran across the street and there was an armed guard panamanian guard mm-hmm. with a you know m16 or something let him in and i i don't know if you remember them at the time they had a thing called the uh, McLean? No, it was uh, <laughs> the McDLT. <no>. The McDLT. <laughs> it, it was something where they kept all the lettuce and Keeps tomatoes. Keeps the hot food hot and the cold food yeah, cold. The on, McDLT. So he got like six of those, and he came running back. And I got to tell you, it didn't taste like McDonald's to me. It, mm. was, it was different because of where you were and the stress I guess, you were under. Yeah, it might have been a real hamburger for all I know. You know, yeah. to give the Panamanians some credit. I, <laughs> maybe maybe I don't they know. were using. I don't really remember. If, I just right. remember not liking it because I couldn't identify it as mcdonald's oh that's interesting i was disappointed in it for well, whatever i can't remember if it was it was fine i ate it huh well i remember it, that mcdlt actually was a big flop oh really yeah and yeah. i think probably for that reason i think it probably tasted like too fresh yeah or it was like a real people. hamburger meal. yeah and i, I remember thinking wow i had one shot at mcdonald's in a combat zone and it sucked but there are mcdonald's on bases that's one of the things that i find really food. disturbing is that we're sending these people abroad to you know put them in these dangerous situations and i guess of course me being the who i am i see that as a bad thing that we're putting right. mcdonald's and fast food and all this american garbage on the bases it is where these people should be fed really well and be really you know it's like during the olympics mcdonald's was the big sponsor right. and like the athletes are feeding that to them i mean i'm it's big business. It's it's right. just a you know it, it's it's a reflection of our society right. on the military bases, it's, and the government doesn't care about you or I sitting here, in my humble opinion, and they don't <laughs> they care even less about right. those soldiers. Yeah. So if they could work They're out just a, bodies to be fed a deal, yeah, and if if they could keep you know some kid from Middle America or from anywhere smiling, yeah, with a McDonald's fed, they don't they, the health right. ramifications of it, they could care less. No, it's of course. Four years. And they churn that kid out. Four years, it. fill him up with the cheapest calories possible. Right. And Who then cares? kick him He's out. He's not going to hurt himself in four years. Right. There's, right. You know, there's well, and it's, you know, we used to talk about the military industrial complex in school and, you know, about how, you know, that's what you know, took us out of the Depression was the lead up to World War II and right. all that. And I think that's a big part of it now, too, is that the government has contracts with all the, you know, massive food corporations. And it's probably. Oh, absolutely. You I can mean, find anything on, the, yeah. you know, at the time, Fort Drum, where I was stationed. Um, in Watertown, New York, was one of the most modern military bases in the world. And, uh, you know, it was effectively its own little city. Yeah. You, you would never really have to leave the base. Um, and they had everything from, you know, an Applebee's, the way I remember, oh you God. know. Uh, I mean, when you talk about fast food, not just McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, Roy right, Rogers, um, all these Midwest stuff I didn't even know <laughs> Those existed, weird you know? chains you've never yeah. seen because you're from Long Island. Right, right. Hardee's and other things <laughs> right, that long Sonic. left my neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. Right, Sonic. Um, it was everywhere. And, um, 
you know, and guys would eat it. I'm, I'm not kidding. Every night, every I'm not yeah. going to the chapel. I'm going to McDonald's. Right, because it was familiar right. and comforting and safe and predictable. Right. Yeah. And yeah. They, they wouldn't try anything new. Right. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. And, the, you know, the military, you know, they claim it's, it's all about just keeping the soldier smiling. They don't care if they could give you a little bit of joy, if it's good, bad for you. You know, even out in the field, if we were at Fort Drum training, we'd go out for weeks at a time, maybe, you know, a two-week, we called it a deployment, but we basically walked out of our barracks and walked into the woods in the training area. And we'd eat MREs for five, six days in a row, mm-hmm. and then they would always <laughs> set up a hot meal for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just... Just it being a hot meal, and it might be like you know uh, those processed hamburger patties right. that they'd steam warm, slime. but there were buns and, and they were some hot. lettuce and tomatoes, corn on the cob. Right, and after an MRE, it was like right, the it best was, food. It was, gourmet. It was like banquet, yeah. Yep. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, more with Chef and former, what were you, Specialist E4? Yes. Chad Pagano. Thank you. We'll be right back. Jenkins from Fairway Markets. I've devoted my idiot career to the old ways, the old recipes, the old tools, the old geography of where serious foods come from for centuries. And I've strived to make these wonderful things available to New Yorkers for 37 years. So it's a fait accompli for us to support Heritage Radio Network. And I hope you will too, and I hope you'll keep tuning in. For more information, please visit fairwaymarket.com. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Welcome back to Let's Get Real on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Erica Wides, your host. Remember that you can find Let's Get Real on Facebook at Let's get real. Find me there. You can become a fan of the show. You can send me a message. Say hello. I would love to hear from you. You can also follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show. Follow me on Twitter or send me tweets. Retweet things, however it works. I don't know. Twitter to me is like somewhat of a mystery still, but I'm getting there. Um, Also remember that all Heritage Radio Network shows are on iTunes and they're all free. So there are probably thousands of them now. I know I have like 140 episodes and there are thousands of them. So you can listen to everything we've ever done now on iTunes. You can also always listen to anything that's on heritageradionetwork.org. And there's a live stream on there too. And we have a lot of new shows coming up and big things are happening. And you know that Heritage Radio is now member supported. So... You should go to our website and click on join or become a member, whatever it says. And you should join because you get 
the thrill and the satisfaction of knowing that you're supporting something great and that you also get a little special card and it gives you discounts at places and that's always really nice too because you know me i'm super thrifty i love the discount anyway also next week is my big one year anniversary special show and also this coming saturday night i will be Live on BBC Radio 5 on a show called Up All Night from 8.30 to 9.30. And I'm pretty excited about that. So if you're around, you can listen to that. It's streamed live online, of course, so you can listen to that. Okay, anyway, we're back um, with my friend and coworker, Chef Chad Pagano, who was in the first Gulf War. And then um, how did you make the transition from being a sniper in Saudi Arabia to becoming a pastry chef? (laughs) Because I think that's a really interesting change of events there. Yeah, I kind of fell into it. Um, I got out. I was I was praying that I wouldn't die. And <laughs> I, I promised uh-huh. not to rob, steal, or uh, cheat anymore. And I made a list. You need a job if you're not going to do those things. Yeah, I so guess so. Right. I, um, I made a list of things I love to do. Drink, you know, video gaming, and <laughs> food. I wrote, I wrote the word food. And I thought, chef. And, yeah. and pastry was the furthest thing from my mind. Um, ended up working in a small pastry shop. And uh, I just fell in love with it. I was amazed. You know, I was, was these grungy bakers in the morning. And then the fancy pastry chef came in in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, four or five basic ingredients can make all these different products. Mm-hmm. And um, ended up going to culinary school. The rest is history. Rest is I, you history. know, I always I like the artistic um, aspects of pastry. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, always consider myself a, considered myself a bit of an artist, so mm-hmm. I kind of just fell into it. Well, that's what I think is really interesting about you is that you're this very kind of traditional kind of guy. Thank you. You hunt. I do. You're into sports. You're a guy, you right. know? You're a guy's guy. Let's go Giants. Whatever. I don't even know what that means. But, um... Yet you are very good at things like pulling sugar into flowers and piping tiny little designs on petty force, and you're totally comfortable with that. I I am. You you embrace that side of I yourself, I and get, that's you what know, I really like about you. And as that, a libertarian, you know, I always <laughs> say that's why we live in America. <laughs> so you and, have the freedom to do both. Yeah, and I guess you know my military background and the fact that I pull sugar and make flowers, you know, kind of cross each other a little bit and give me a little Mm -hmm. you know like if someone's trying to make fun of me for being a patient a lot of my meathead friends do Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of my culinary co-worker chefs do right and i said the bone burners you you were a sniper or right you know (laughs) you served in war right yeah i get to say that exactly exactly you can sort of pull that out that's like your secret weapon right Okay, now just, I want to, we're running out of time, but I want to get back a little bit more to your food experience in the military. Talk a little bit about the MREs, what was in them. I mean, were they really, like, historically bad? The one we looked at, I think we weren't sure if it was a real, real one. It was was more like a camping kind of thing. Mountaineering. Mountaineering. When you were in, did they have those self-heating elements Um, in them? No, actually. Um, Because they have that now, right? Uh, a lot of them do. I, I think a few of them towards the end, uh, when I was getting out, had them. Mm-hmm. I forgot what they called. They, they had these little. They they weren't as complicated as as that one. I mean, basically right. they were these little uh, heat tablets, mm-hmm. uh, some kind of combustible material that you would light, and then use your um, canteen liner over a, a metal cup in your oh. canteen that you would heat the food in. Oh, okay. Um, 
So usually we ate them cold, though. You know, being we were light infantry, so we you know prior we would hide and sneak around small, you know, small unit tactics and stuff. So it wasn't like we were setting up <laughs> camp and starting around. a fire. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like a bunch of like brownies running. Around. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Let's hide. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did, especially as a sniper. People. Oh, I guess so. Yeah. Yeah, we had died. Yeah. Yeah. Someone said the other day I we don't had, know anything. there was an incident and. Apparently, I walked in. They said, "Where, where were you? You could have, you could have helped." And I thought, "What was I going to do? Hide across the street in a building and shoot?" Because that's what snipers do, really. On the grassy knoll. Yeah, um, but the MREs would, you know, they come in cases. I remember, you know, back at back at our staging areas, they would have cases of them on pallets just piled up, and and they were numbered in some manner, and and that would be the menu in that box. There would be, mm. you know, maybe uh, ten of each meal, and then uh, they would filtered down to us you know in the team or squad or team levels and we would divide them up Mm -hmm. and sometimes you got things you liked sometimes you know everything you know i remember uh one i really despised was um scrambled eggs and ham Mm. and it was basically this brick of yellow mass i don't even know what with perfect little cubes of ham throughout it right it was like without the ability to warm that it was really Ew. bad, and and it was a whole barter system. I mean, guys, sure. some people liked that, and you would trade. Became a commodity, right? And you know, I was always honest with myself. We 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 didn't have any vehicles. We walked everywhere, you know. Um, so I didn't want to carry extra weight, and mm-hmm. I just I you know I probably threw away half the MREs mm-hmm. they gave me, and you know they all came individually. The the package itself was self contained, but then within that you would have each individual element of the meal. So you know maybe uh, crackers, applesauce, peanut butter, mm-hmm. um, the main meal, you know beef stew. Right. Um, they came with little bottles of Tabasco, a little package of napkins. Right. Uh, cocoa powder usually, or some kind of uh, drink. Oh, something hot. You can yes, mix it. Yeah. Right. Um, coffee, a little coffee, uh, instant coffee in it. But I would I would separate cigarettes. them all, and I'd put. No, that was in World War Two. There'd be cigarettes. No, no cigarettes. They used to give you a ration of cigarettes, right? right? Not anymore. No, a lot of the guys uh, chewing tobacco was the big deal in the light infantry because you couldn't smoke. Again, we're hiding. Oh, you know, so. right. <laughs> Guess so. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and then I would divide them up and put them in my soul pack. And I just remembered you, you were asking me if there was a if I had another story. Do you have time? Yeah, we've time. Oh, right. Sure. So I'm, I'm in one of these training missions, and I had broken up my MRE and I put it all into what we called an assault pack. It was it was a smaller uh, backpack basically on top of our bigger pack that we could take off and use separately. Um, and I was using it, I had all my meals in there and I was using it as a pillow one night and I woke up in the morning laying in the middle of the woods and my zipper was open and half my meals were gone. Mm. So I start yelling at my squad, you know, what you, you stole from me? We're brothers. We're, we're supposed to work together. And they were all looking at me like I was crazy, claiming they never stole it. So I went through that whole day, um, aggravated. I was going to ask for a transfer. How can these guys steal my food? We're in this situation. Um, Band of brothers night, and all that. Yeah, all that. I I went to bed the next night, and I, I put my head on my assault pack, and I was just dozing off. I heard something, and I look up and not three inches from my face is a raccoon and i physically watched him grab the zipper with his little raccoon hands oh open God. the zipper and it was almost like he was reading the mres he was taking them out feeling them and trying to smell them and they were all like vacuum sealed yeah 
And he ran off with like three or four of my meals. So. See, I thought you were going to say he went in there and he opened it up and he read what was in it and then he threw it on the ground yeah, and ran no, away. No, he he ran off with three or four of my packages. You'd think a raccoon would be smarter than to eat. You would think. You would think. Right. Wow. So I had a lot of apologizing to do. I'm sure. But, you know, they varied. In, it was chicken cacciatore, I remember, was pretty bad. Mm, ugh. Um, none of them were what you would consider good. No, of course. It was survival food. But, like, I don't know. It seems to me like it could be done in such a better way. But what do I know? I mean, I've never had yeah. to feed, you know, however many millions of people. <laughs> I don't know. I think and, I've, you know, catered for 100. That's about it. So. Yeah, and depending on the yeah. situation, we would... You know, I would eat a package of cocoa powder yeah, just to get just some to get energy some fuel and, into you. Yeah, instead right. of eating the beef stew, I right. didn't even care. And then, how did it work with people of different rank? Like, did everybody? Yeah, well, eat the so same, when yeah, you were out in the field, in the field, they ate MREs ate with it. us. They got nothing right. special, you know. And I was in a small unit. I mean, the light infantry, we, you know, was small units. So even our, you know, lieutenant, our, our uh, uh, company commanders, they were with us. Mm-hmm. So you know, they had to suffer the same indignities. Right. But when you were on the bases, I guess there are... They had separate... Uh, if I remember, there, there might have been an officer, um, Chow Hall. Because, uh-huh. um, you know, on MASH, Colonel Potter ate with them. Right. With the guys. Right. And, you know, to me, MASH is real, yeah. and that was the Army. But. No, that's funny. You know, the lower-ranking officers, you know, uh, your platoon leader or lieutenant, first or second lieutenant they, they would eat with you the guys directly mm-hmm. you know in command of you they wanted to be part of the group and bond so they would eat and like i think our chow hall at 10th mountain was just one chow hall in our area mm-hmm. and it was everyone ate there but in the bars or some of the clubs the um the offices had separate you know amenities mm-hmm. that they okay so yeah so i mean i guess it makes sense if you're an officer you know yeah i told you the story about how my father got out of serving combat in Korea, right? No. I thought I told you. So my father got got recruited. Yeah, drafted. Not recruited. Drafted. Drafted. (laughs) Drafted for Korea. It was like right at the end. And um, when he went, you know, to report for duty, whatever, they looked at his resume or his credentials or whatever, and he had been a Boy Scout troop leader. Oh, right. You said He had like gone straight up through the ranks of Boy Scout to Eagle Scout, and then he'd become a troop leader. And so when they drafted him, they looked at that and they were like, oh, good, we need a scout leader on the base in New Jersey for the officer's kids. So we're going to station you as the scout troop leader and you don't have to go to Korea there you go. and fight. I know. That's so awesome. it, the Boy Scouts could have saved his life. See? And he probably learned more about survival in Boy Scouts, actually. I'm sure he did. Fending off all the lecherous, you know, scout leaders. Because right. apparently now that's going to be like the next Catholic Church scandal is the Boy Scouts, because that's all yeah. coming out now. Well, the whole thing with the homosexuals being allowed in and, and being not. allowed in and now but all this is, is abuse well, yeah. is covered up and anyway that's a whole other show that's a different story yeah okay so one last question what about the mcdonald's on the base at guantanamo i didn't even know there you was didn't one. know the at no. guantanamo are the prisoners allowed to eat <laughs> that's a good question well, they're probably smarter enough they're probably not to smarter eat than that yeah although having been to cuba i can tell you the food was pretty bad but, um, yeah, there's a McDonald's, or it could be a Burger King. I think it's a McDonald's on the base at Guantanamo it's, for people. I believe it. Yeah, of course there is. there. Yeah. I mean, right. isn't that, I mean, talk about, like, we haven't done any trade with Cuba in 60 years, but because we have Guantanamo, we can have a little franchise of McDonald's sure. right That's there. American like the soil. ultimate capitalist symbol yeah. on American soil. It's pretty there messed it is. up. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't seem right without it. So, we've already gone over time, so we're going to have to stop. Any other... Um, 
questions, comments, things we want to talk about, military food in general. You feel you feel like you were well fed, pretty well taken care of. My tax dollars went Your to tax dollars take care of right. you. Yeah, I'm sure we were throwing money out the window. But yeah, I ate all right. Yeah, you know, you, you you seem pretty well fed now. I mean, it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. It was. We just ate pizza here. I was probably better fed then than I am now. As a chef, now. It's true. I never I know. have time to eat. Anymore. I know. We never get to eat. We were starving when we got here. Yeah. All right. Well, that was great. Thanks for coming on and filling us in on the food experience of foodiness in the military. And um, we'll be back, like I said, next week with the one year anniversary special. So we'll see you then. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.